Your Genre Stop, the podcast where we read and review genre fiction. I'm Bree, a lover of all things speculative, and I'm here with Scott, a, Hello. Hey. Hey. a skeptic of all things fantastical. This week on the show, we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Name of the Wind, the celebrated first book in his King Killer Chronicles. So, Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book before we begin? Who celebrates this book? <laughs> Who's your people celebrate this book? What's your favorite like holiday? Rothfuss themed <laughs> holiday celebration. Doesn't need to be a holiday yet. There's actually like a, a low key sort of less formal one going on all the time. Okay, for real? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm a part of it then. Okay. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah. Well, the name of the wind, Patrick Rothfuss's, as you said, 2007 fantasy doorstop, tells the tale. Here's, okay, his name, K-V-O-T-H-E. Throughout the whole thing, I was saying, Kvothe, but I'm guessing Bree thinks that's wrong. Well, there's a section where he says, like, and this is how my name is pronounced, and he says an it equally with. unpronounceable word is presented. <laughs> <laughs> like, my name is, pre- is Kvothe, and it's pronounced Kvothe. <laughs> Wasn't it like Quoth? Yes. Like Quoth the Raven? All right, look, I have it in my head, and it's... Kyotha. No, my God. Did you say that every time? <laughs> of course you... I did. It made <laughs> No, you didn't. It made him sound so much cooler. Kyotha. Kyotha? No wonder it took you so long to read. <laughs> well, that's okay. It's like an 800 page book. In my head, I just said, Kyotha. Kyotha. That's what we're going to say for the rest what of it. What word did you say it was trying to. It would say it sounds like well, this. Well, I decided word it's not a... Q U as in qua, because when he said it sounds like this, it's not like qua. I think it's the actual sound of a Q U, like kya, kya. So then it's just. Kyotha and the uh, like the, you know, some languages pronounce these well, I think I think the example he's giving us was for like, you know, a real world audience. Like, here's an English word that it sounds like. It might have been a demon audience. Well, it might have been a demon audience. But I don't think that was like part of the narrative saying like, for all you Siaru speakers. All right. I can tell you're upset because I thought of this awesome <laughs> pronunciation and you're Kabotha's. Kabotha. Okay. It's not Italian. <laughs> That's how I was pronouncing my head. <laughs> okay. You have to tell the story. Oh, thank you. Get to tell the story. <laughs> exactly. All right. So this tells the tale. I'm just going to say K. You say that and I'll say Kyatha. All right. Kvothe. And his fall and rise and fall and rise across a massive continental secondary world. And by that, I mean basically two cities. As the son of itinerant mummers, Kvothe leads a fairly normal acting troupe life. He entertains peasants, develops a knack for lying in the dramatic. He perfects the loot and he befriends... Traveling apothecary mages who stoke his desire to attend the university, a prestigious yet mysterious institution where students learn all sorts of sympathetic arts. Magic is called sympathy. Good to know. And they can also learn the names of things. This is knowledge which will allow them to manipulate the world. Luckily, a sinister group of ghoulish highwaymen massacre his family and troop, which frees him up to pursue his dream of post secondary education. <laughs> Unluckily, he's like 11 and poor, and therefore <laughs> therefore he's got to spend the next several years as a street urchin, for some reason. Once he's ditched his artful dodger existence, however, Kavote rises steadily through the university. You can't say it like that. <laughs> I'll stop saying it like that. Um, all the while, he's attempting to learn as much as he can about his parents' killers and kiss pretty girls. He fails in one. Well, and yeah, he does. Well, both, actually, in this book. 
<laughs> Rothfuss conveys all of this information to us, the readers, through a frame story that he loses interest in about halfway through the book. Um, in this, a slightly older Cavote narrates his own life story to a chronicler who's tracked him and his demon lover. <laughs> I mean, companion. To an inn. Cavote, it seems, is running from something. This first in, book in a planned trilogy, however, is not where we learn from what. Rothfuss, though, does use this work to meditate on memory, myth, and meaning, and how the latter is often constructed out of a messy jumble of the former. Still, for a 700-page book, this is obviously leaving out a lot, which hopefully gives us a lot to talk about. Maybe then a straightforward first question, Brie. Would... I'll lay it all on me. Exactly. So what drew you to this? What did you hope to get out of this book? Why was I reading the first of the King Killer Chronicles? What drew me to this book is actually, I guess, what draws me to a lot of fantasy I'm going to read. I just heard good things. Magnets. (laughs) My lodestone. (laughs) Exactly. Um, You can sell that for quite a few talents. (laughs) I'd heard from a friend that this was great. More to the point, I'd heard from her and from from stuff that I'd read online that it was one of those books that you'll be obsessed with. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really want. I just want to be obsessed with something and can't put it down. And just my life, my horrible life, <laughs> <laughs> to be wiped out nice. for like a week, you know, exactly. or two. Or if it's really good, like three days. Right. So that's what I was wanting to get out of this, I guess. And it's even better. You know, I knew it was the first in a trilogy. So I thought, well, if it works like that, then... There's more weeks I can write off. <laughs> this, is, this is, yes. The publisher's perspective, too. This is, this so, is what's uh, in it for trilogies. Okay, well, I mean, that makes sense. And this is, okay, so how, should we get into our thoughts on this? Or yeah. do you want to dig it? Yeah, we should get into okay. it. Okay, if that was your expect or your hope coming in, mm-hmm. this is something that's going to engross you. How well did it succeed at that, or not? It did pretty well once the flashback got going. And I would say I was involved in the story while he was with the Edamaru. I don't think you said their name. Edamaru, yes, his acting Edamaru. troop. They're not just troopers. They're, you know, special. It seems like they're an ethnicity slash profession type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, or an ethnicity with a, a profession. They're like a... Well, maybe not. <laughs> I won't guess You're it. About to say tink- I won't guess it. they're ethnic tinkers. parallel. You're going to say tinkers. No, I wasn't. No, oh. there are tinkers in the book. I don't think, like... Irish tinkers, are they? Oh, I thought they were Irish tinkers. You yeah. I thought they were just like, back in the day, parallel universe tinkers. It worked through the Edamaru. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say it as much as I can. Through Tarbine, the city where he's a beggar. Through oh, most God. of it. Tarbine went on a little long. It went on a little long. Yeah, it went on about 100 pages too long. But um, <laughs> we got to the university, and at first I was like, yeah, academic setting. And then it lost me. And I feel like it was to the point where I wasn't obsessed with it, but I was like, okay, okay. The plot's about to really blow up, and I'm going to become obsessed with this, and there's going to become a, like a crazy climax. Mm-hmm. And I guess, to jump right to my biggest, well, one of my biggest problems with the book, right. is that the that climax was nothing. No, nothing. it wasn't. I mean, it was misdirection in, in, in some way. Right. Well, I think he wanted us to be excited that it was a dragon, a Dracus. <laughs> I mean, not only was he, yeah, in as much as he wrote out, I think at the end of the chapter... It was a dragon. It was a dragon, period. period. Yeah. So I was just so disappointed by that. A lot of firsts in series still have huge endings that solve at least a lot of the mysteries. All right, so maybe he wouldn't kill all the Chand- Chandrian, who are the people. But he at least meets some. Yeah. He would have an interaction with one. Yeah, maybe bad. one would die. Right, right. You know, something like that. So Okay, so then that Give kind me of... a sense that they're going to 
destroy the whole world. Good. And that kind of already answers my big theme question I was going to ask you anyway. Because I remember we talked about series and longer narratives extended over discrete books with the ancillary justice one. And I'd said that it turns me off and I don't like it. And you said you didn't at all. And so my thought when I finished this was like, oh, this I'm going to be able to really get Brie with this. Because like this is one in which the fact that this is a series... Like, this is so unsatisfying. And Bree's going to also find it unsatisfying. But you're saying that's because it's bad as a series. Not like this is indicative of series in general, but like this one did series bad. Because it didn't give us any... Yes, thing. this one did the first book in a series bad. And right. I don't know, maybe the second two books. I think there's only one out, right? The, the second one's After out. After this one, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Maybe they're going to be great. Maybe he's saving it all for that. Right. But this one, yeah, you've invested so much. And then nothing gets solved except he pays off his small debt to this girl that was never going to kill him. I mean, what else? He gets to go to the library. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like the end. The Denna. I mean, we'll get into Denna. Okay, so... He won't, though. All right, so that was my problem. But I will say, I liked his childhood best. I thought uh, that was the most engaging part With the Edamaru? Yeah. Whole Edamaru into half of Darby. <laughs> Basically, because the only time that I liked uh, him as a character or person was when he was young from the time he was whatever the story be- like oh. the childhood story begins to halfway through Tarbeam. he is like literally wisecracking with the son of a count and <laughs> giving him better than he's got within a week and it seems so inconsistent with how he'd been presented up to until this point all right i feel like there are basically three main clothes <laughs> wait wait this is your this is your moment to shine with with your name knowledge. Okay, there there are three K's. You might as well say say quote. I'm not saying. I'll say quote. Okay. Quote. Oh. <laughs> All right. Keep that up. There's a the third person him in Who? the beginning in the frame. Kyoto. Okay. All right. There's the first person Kyoto in the frame. All right. Uh, I'm sorry. Third person. Who? <laughs> <laughs> um. And when he's the innkeeper and there's all that, you know, stop saying the innkeeper. I get it. That he's the smoldering hero underneath this, like, innkeeper rag. Is it the third silence? Okay, I like the silence thing. I like when it became, like, unabashedly heavy-handed in third-person tone. Right, right. You know, I thought there was something like, ooh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because otherwise everything was too subtle for me and I didn't get anything. (laughs) Yeah, right. I don't understand what happened. (laughs) You do understand that the innkeeper was... Wait, we can talk. I don't want to expose you, but at what point did you know Bast was a demon? When the book told me he was a demon. Which is crazy, because it was signaled so heavily from the first page. Wow. All right, there's that third person him, there's the first person him in the flashback, and then there's this freakish character who's... Cody? (laughs) (laughs) No. Third person him within the frame once he starts telling the story. Wait, okay, hold on. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And it's so bizarre, and it's the tone changes so dramatically. He's, I mean, in both of those, one, he's like this struggling hero boy on a journey, and then the third person, he's this wounded, bruised hero, and then he, like, I imagine him, like, getting a piece of bubble gum and, like, leaning on his knee and being like, maybe you've heard of me. You know? He's so, like... Well, he's got a name. The Chronicler, he didn't tell people. The Chronicler came to him saying, I have heard of you. He says, literally, maybe you've heard of me. Okay. We can go to the page. I mean, I, I believe that that page exists. <laughs> that book. page really exists. I'm going to find it. I thought there was a... No, the three characters were not the same character to me. Deliberately? You're mm-hmm. saying oh, just no. writing-wise? Writing-wise. Oh, yeah. No, obviously. Okay. Is that obvious? <laughs> I don't think it was obvious to well, I don't mean, I don't mean obviously. <laughs> I mean, like, 
Yes, this character was written very inconsistently. Although... I found it. I found what? The, oh, okay. See, let's see it. You may have heard of me. Oh, God. It's a chapter but, ender. Well, it's, I mean, on the back of the book, we get that also, you might have heard of me speech saying, I've stolen princesses from oh, sleeping barrow kings. That is on the back of the book. I okay. burned down the town of Trayvon. I guess we heard that. I spent the night with Felorian, left with my sanity. I was expelled from the university. I tread past by moonlight that other fears to speak of during the day. Oh, it's tough. I've talked to God's love women and written songs. I mean, so we've done, he's done about 35% of those things. I'm really embarrassed now because I, I didn't read the back of the book because I don't like knowing anything. That's fine. No, but now it looks like I didn't read the book. I actually only read the segment on the back. Of course. It's like the, you may the, have heard of me. The one line that I quote. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of my main problems. Uh, tell me about some of your problems with the book, if you had any. If we don't have to be all negative. We can get... Well, we'll do problems and then we can do positives. I already talked about then... my love for the Edamaru. <laughs> Problems and then solutions. You mean. <laughs> Some of my problems, I mean, yeah, they're the same thing, kind of. I think I liked a third of this book. I was into parts of the middle, the middle third, when it was at the mm-hmm. university. It wasn't, the plot was interesting, I wasn't there. Something about the writing, the characters, the scene, the way he would describe certain, like, you know, academic aspects, mm-hmm. before it had anything to do with women. <laughs> Um, oh my, yeah. It fell in line there for me, and I was, you know, there were a hundred pages where it was humming along for me. Mm-hmm. A little more than that for me. I guess so, yeah, yeah 700 pages. Yeah. I'm, I'm th- the middle third. Yeah. You know, maybe page 250 to 550. Whenever he left for t- to go meet the dragon, and then the rest was a blur of, and here I'm going to admit, of skimming. <laughs> you want to skimmed? Know you can't course. skim. Well, okay. No, I, That's I how you sk- finished it so fast. Of course. You think I'm going to read? Ten pages on a dragon, or not the dragon, but on riding his horse. I can point out the spots to you at which I would say, I made a note that said, holy shit, did I just read a page about him buying shoes? Did I just read a page oh, about wait, him? Oh, wait, but I loved the man he bought shoes from in Tarbine. Why? Uh, because he was so kind and he gave him, I was kind of moved by that. I actually thought he was like a god in disguise, but maybe I'm still city of stairsing. <laughs> well, this might be then the thing between, so this is why I might have been kind of not dreading, but this was the kind of book that I was, you know, in my head, I imagined that there, this type of fantasy book existed. The book where people love it, but, you know, if you interrogate them, it comes down to them liking to be in a world, whatever that means, mm-hmm. than like getting a story. And so I had a feeling picking this up and thinking about it that like, this is going to be ponderous. This is going to give me a lot of things, digressions. And they were there and I just was not interested. <laughs> I mean... Half of his romance, I skimmed. I didn't. The, well, they were. I can't recall. I mean, the romance is terrible. So I, I skimmed. I skimmed those parts. I skimmed because I got a sense of the way the book was organized. I knew by the end that I was going to get five pages on him riding his horse to go to this thing. I skimmed so much of the dragon part. You missed uh, Dennis' opium trip then. No, I did. I mean, skimming is is a is a uncharitable way to put a way in which I read it pretty closely. You know, I would mm-hmm. read it pretty closely, but I just, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't. It would have been torturous to me to have to read hundreds of pages of that. Okay, well, I read it and I never thought it was torturous, but I thought <sighs> the dragon segment was bad. Oh, I thought it was bad too. I got a really good sense of the dragon segment. I but know what I, happened. I guess I thought it's it was... It's a dinner resin. I'm there. I know what happened. And what I'm saying by skimming is I didn't read each word. Which could, which I think when a book that a lot of reviews I've read that their draw to it is saying that it's lyrical and eloquent and evocative and that it's unlike fantasy books because it does that, by halfway through the book, 
it forces me to not care about the language, it's failed in some sense. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I haven't read any reviews of this book. Or, I mean, I, I read um, the back, and there are three pages at the beginning. Okay. Of, I didn't think the prose was lyrical at all. I thought it had the... <clears throat> Ursula K. Le Guin. It's a rare pleasure to find a fantasist writing with true music in the words. Wherever he goes, he'll carry us with him as a good singer carries us through a song. Okay, maybe music in the words, but I understand what she means by as a good singer carries us through a song. I mean, I actually thought the prose quality was pretty, you know, not very good on the lower side of fine. But I thought maybe because of that middle third or for me what was, you know, until the last two or three hundred pages. As a storyteller, he was doing well. Oh, I thought so too. So Underselling yeah. my actual like interest and being with it there for that middle third. And for the parts that grabbed me, they really, they really grabbed me. But maybe it was too apparent or self-evident. The tar bean, I couldn't believe I was in tar bean for 150 pages. I couldn't believe when he was leaving I was buying shoes with him. I couldn't believe when he was going to meet this dragon that he was riding his horse for this long. It's just so much. The parts in the woods, he's just getting drinks. So much stuff about what he's bought. I mean, that's a ponderousness that I think someone would appreciate being in that world that have no little appeal to me. I mean, maybe. I appreciated being in the world and I didn't appreciate that. Okay. I, I, don't, I think it's okay for that to be a bad part of the book and we don't have to assume that the bad part of the book is what everyone loves about it. What do you think people love about this book? Um, I think people love the tale and they, I think they love him, which I don't, but I think they love him and they love like, you know, the good yarn aspect of it. <clears throat> Agreed. I okay. think that's probably what the yarnish part. I would say that people's appeal is the academic setting more than the yarnishness. Oh, well, who doesn't love a good academic setting? But I'm saying that's what people probably like. That's the thought they have in their head when that's a third of the book. Oh, correct. I did expect to get to university earlier than I did. Yes, okay. So the writing, then. We can talk about the writing more. Um, as I said, there are certain parts that were re really heavy-handed that I did like. It begins and ends on a segment about uh, there being an inn, and there are three types of silence in the inn. And one is the silence of night, and the other is silence of a scared man in the corner. And I mean, that read like he was trying to write lyrically, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just enter these with a different mindset, but... No, I mean, I don't think that this writer is sitting there thinking he's, like, spinning the most beautiful lyric. I think he's telling you what kind of book you're in. And I think he's trying to get you into a grand, epic feel. And I think that's what it indicates, just like a lot of the language. And there's way too much of it, and we'll especially get to it when we talk about women, but a lot of the language that uses, um, you know, a lot of nature, just, you know, the the stone deep eyes and all right. of that I think is less about look at my beautiful description and it's more about this is a book of magic so I'm going to use a lot of the elements because I'm playing on the popular imagination of what a fantasy world is. <clears throat> I see what you're saying. I think the answer is actually somewhere between our positions. I think he thinks for the genre in which he's writing he's doing something pretty and, and lyrical mm -hmm. but I also think like you said there's something more I'm telling a story and moving things along that I'm giving credit for. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, but just to illustrate that, because he does it twice, he thinks it is something, and he introduces us the final paragraph about the silences in that prologue. And this reads to me as someone trying to write not just like exposition narr narrativization, but it seems like someone trying to write something pretty. He says, This third silence was appropriate, as it was the greatest silence of the three, wrapping the others inside of itself. It was deep and wide as autumn's ending. It was heavy as a great river-smooth stone, 
It was the patient cut flower sound of a man who's waiting to die. He thinks he's doing something. Yeah, I'm not saying he thinks he's writing garbage. And I don't think actually there's anything wrong with that paragraph. I mean, it's heavy-handed and it's dramatic, but that's the kind of book we're in. I, I don't even think that's dramatic. All I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. I'm saying I mean, that I think there's... I mean, the silence of a man waiting to die is dramatic. Cut flower. Sure, I think the author intends that to be good writing, but like good writing of a certain kind, which is he's telling an epic fantasy tale. Which is what I'm saying as well. Okay. Well, yeah. we agree. <laughs> I think we do agree. Well, let's agree on that. Okay. Well, then another thing about the writing, which I just get a kick out of, and I think I kind of really like in fantasy or genre writing, that it lets authors like write in a way that other authors would like wince at, that they could never do, that I'm sure they have lines like, but they would just say, oh, I can't write that. Write from a place of deep Solomonic wisdom. When Kvothes is given control of the classroom, and he says, Heme was giving me enough rope to hang myself with. Apparently he didn't realize that once a noose is tied, it will fit one neck as easily as another. That, I actually that liked a lot here. of folks he turns a phrase in this. That's when what I'm when he described a song as We're old. getting a little too combative. <laughs> when he described a song as old as God, uh, when he described something as a one whore town instead of a one horse town. The difference between telling a story and being in one? The fear. I guess what I bridle at a little bit is... I'm not making any judgment with this observation. I mean, I think they're just different. I'm saying I don't think that Patrick Rothfuss is unaware at <clears throat> all that he's doing that. I mean, I don't, I don't I think said. fantasy writers are worse writers. I never said that. That's why I just said I think this is a nice genre in which they get to like exercise okay, this writerly okay. vein. Okay, okay, I'm projecting stuff. What about this paragraph? When Denna has taken her Denna resin... And he says, there are names for people who take advantage of women who are not in full control of themselves, and none of those names will ever rightfully okay. be applied to me. All right. The way women are in this book oh, God. Um, is really bad. For one, there is not a non-beautiful woman in this book. Oh, God, you're right. Every single character, he has a moment where he realizes how beautiful she is. Even the 13-year-old. <laughs> Wait, exactly. Wait, where is that? Yeah. It's so great. It was near the end of the book, and I was so sick of it by that point. And this little 13-year-old comes to, like, bandage a wound or something. <laughs> and and in the beginning, he said she had mousy brown hair. So I thought, like, oh, that's what he means. Like, she's a troll. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that segment, he's like, she looked up, and I realized that she was beautiful. I thought it was... <laughs> it had to be a joke. Right. Like, again. Oh, yeah. Um, that was like all of her friends have died at that wedding. Yeah, yeah. And he can't help but being attracted to her. No, I mean, that was crazy. All of the women are super beautiful. None of the women have anything that distinguishes them from each other except the main girl, Denna. Take the trope of woman, wom, woman is nature and man is knowledge and civilization. Uh, right. And map it onto Denna because all she is is a wild, free-moving, dust-swirling, whatever... And he, even the way he describes her that, it was so creepy and gross to me. I couldn't get involved in the romance at all. When he first talks about her, I mean, he does this, you know, that long thing about how no one can describe her beauty. It's unbelievable. Da, 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 da. And then he starts talking about how she's a wild thing and how, you know, he starts it with, as with all truly wild things, care is necessary in approaching them. Stealth <laughs> won't work. And then oh. he talks about the slow care you have to use to get near one. It was just so gross and dehumanizing. So gross. There were there were at least five or six different places where I just marked down, ew. 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 Wait, how Wait. about this really bizarre, I'm sorry, sequence in the class with Heme? Ah, uh, which one's that? Where the it woman was, comes in? This woman comes, the girl student comes in and sits down 
and Hime asks her to close her legs <laughs> until she does. And then he's like, the gates to hell are closed. Right. And maybe that would be like a ribald joke, but... No, I mean, I think that one... I mean, there's problems with that. There, he was trying to cast Hime as a villain. Right, but it was so bizarre that he would actually say, close your legs to this, like... He set him up as the worst person in the university. So he's using this... Okay. Us, Sexism to get him on our side, That's right? That's true. But we know who the best person in the university is. <laughs> and it's Quotha, because just like what you quoted... Wait, who is it? Kyotha, whatever. Just what I quoted? <laughs> All right. It's what you... What you quoted is one example of many in which he's so noble that he decides not to rape someone. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just horrible. I mean, again and again, there was this segment when they go into the library and Ambrose, who's the villain mm-hmm. other than Hemi... Is I was very confused about that scene. Was he about to rape that girl, whoever he was talking to? Because he even said like, Kyothe could immediately see because he had seen in the back alleys what it's like when I guess a man is about to rape a woman, <laughs> and that like the girl wanted to run, but she knew like Ambrose Can't would make run. her pay for it later. That was oh, the language. Yeah. It was so weird. And I'm sorry. Last thing on rape. And I really well, we should talk about that. I liked the mythology in this. He set up with the gods and angels and all of that. I thought that was good. But this weird line, he mentions one of the angels, and he's like, the first woman to know the unasked for touch of a man. It was just such a clumsy, gross way to say the first woman who was raped. Right. I don't understand. Also, wait, I'm sorry, one separate thing. Was he raped when he was in Tarbine? In what's, in, I don't know. There's a scene when he's on the roof, and he looks down, and he sees these older boys... Uh, they have a young boy pinned down. Well, he wouldn't have been raped. That young boy might have been raped. No, but he said, he and he's really ashamed because he didn't go down there, but he said that he'd been the young boy before and he knew what those situations were like. Okay. Or, well, or only, I'm only basing it on the fact that I don't think Patrick Rothfuss wanted us, based on his own gender politics, to think that his character had been Obviously, re- because molested. he won't let Denna, who's obviously a prostitute, be a prostitute. Although, Kaok, Diok, no, Diok, at one point did say she would give herself, but unwillingly, at points. No, um, he didn't. I just... Diok fixed me with a stare. But what is she to do when some gents get too familiar? Or get angry at being denied what he considers bought and paid for? Re- what recourse does she have? No family, no friends, no standing, no choice. None but to give herself over to him. All unwilling. No, no, no. He's describing why she always runs away and why she disappears. The rest of that statement, I remember it says, so she leaves, so she disappears, you can't blame her. Okay. I, I think you're probably right. And he I'd says read it as, thing... that's what sometimes she has to... No, it doesn't. Dayok, later, he said, in the same scene, he says, well, we know her and she's too good to be, like, someone's mistress or a whore. You're right. You're and right. come on. Yes, she is. We don't have to keep dinner pure. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, not after the dinner resin. Once she's become a sweet eater, she can... Right, but even the dinner resin. Oh, and he got to take care of poor damaged Dinah <laughs> on her big trip. But he was so nice not to rape her when she oh, was in God. the water. Yeah, right? Wasn't that nice of him? Mm. I mean, okay, well, a couple of those things that made me think of lines. One, Ambrose is touching that girl in the, in, in the archives. This is one week after he's been a three-year-long street-sweeping, <laughs> you know, part of Fagan's group. <laughs> I don't know. If he had this kind of like gift of gab and ability to lie and be charming, he never used it. He seemed, mm-hmm. I mean, then he gets here. Why didn't he play music for someone there? Well, yeah. these yeah. are these are questions we all have. Or he had that book and only later did he think, I could sell this book. Yeah. Right? Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. 
So literally a week after he's done that, he's talking back with Ambrose. And he says, mentioning the woman he's touching in the archives, this isn't some brothel. And in case you hadn't noticed, she's a student, not some brass nail you've paid to bang away at. If you're going to force yourself on a woman, have the decency to do it in an alleyway. At least then she'll feel justified screaming. I kind of like that part. (laughs) But anyway, it's just this strange fixation on that. And the ooh parts. I mean, later, when him and Diok are talking, I mean, this is the part where I stopped and said, oh, God. Diok is a pimp, right? Well, maybe. (laughs) It's not sad, but... And this isn't even in Diok's voice. This is Patrick Rothfuss talking. Or whatever. This is Cody talking. Diok laughed and poured wine. They were talking about dinner. I began to relax. There's a sort of camaraderie that rarely exists, except between men who have fought the same enemies. And and shared the same women? Yes. Yes, that was it. I remember. God. So gross. But at the same time, I mean, we can talk about, I also think that the book really failed at depicting male friendship, which it tried to do. Oh, oh, this is another part. At some point, again, he's been there for three days. He met this Simon guy, and there is a line, I wish I could find it. He, and this, this is... This is Patrick Rothfuss talking. He said, Cavote found himself wearing a grin regardless. Simon could always make me smile, no matter what was going on. I mean, they, they, they've known him for two days. I mean, the, the male friendship was... Especially since, I mean, he didn't care about his two best friends at all. They would literally show up and be like, you're so talented. Everyone loves you. You know Dennis in love with you, right? right like, true. oh, you're so good. You're already in a leer. And then they'd leave, and I don't know anything about the two of them, except that I guess Simmons dumb, and the other guy has a bizarre, like, ethnic wisdom. Mm, he, he, he does. He's really good at tracking things. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so that was weird. Uh, okay, yeah, last thing on Denna. I also, a few times, I hated this, he would talk about how Denna, she's not smart, but she has intuition. It's basically, Denna says something, and he's like, it's basic arithmetic, but she doesn't know to call it that. <laughs> well, she's not in the in- university. Well, apparently, so from that passage you noted, women have been allowed to be in the university for like a decade, it said. It said there's only like one. One in ten. One in ten Which isn't women. actually that low. I mean, it's low, but that still bothered me because whenever a woman would appear like in a class or when I think Fela appears in the, the Medica, Ooh. he'll... He literally will use surprisingly. Three people walked in. Surprisingly, one was a woman. She was beautiful. I saw her boobs through her shirt or whatever. The outline of her shape. Oh, he was so hard when he saw Fela in her bathroom. He was freaking out about that. (laughs) Well, I mean, he he liked the only thing he liked saying more than surprisingly was "of course." Uh, He said "of course" all the time. (laughs) Well, I mean, I was a little confused whether the makers, if he saw the movie, or the makers of "God's Not Dead." Saw, read this first before before they made it about him getting up to teach the class. <laughs> oh, if you're so smart, why don't you tell me? You know what university's like. Right, exactly. The teachers are always like, oh yeah, you teach the class. <laughs> you think you're smarter than me? Exactly. Prove God's real. I mean, I mean, do a sympathy binding. <laughs> okay, okay. Sympathy bindings. Let's so we should talk about the magic. The magic, I actually thought, uh, I like this. I mean, I consider... Lots of times in fantasy books like this one, when they explain magic in some way, I accept it, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, look, I'm here anyway. Like, you don't really need to explain it. Mm, you know? I see. That's interesting. Like, for me, it's just like, okay, yeah, magic exists. But I did like this one. It's sympathy. And they kind of, I felt like we're trying to make it more scientific and less magical. Like, for instance, there are no demon, there are fae. 
Right, right. You know, that type of thing. But I liked when... I liked Abenthea's first tutor. I mean, it was during his childhood, and I liked that whole section. It's, it's, it's a blur. So, uh, Abenthea describes, uh, when he's talking about sympathy and bindings, he says, if you're going to impose your will on the world, you must have control of what you believe. And I thought that was an interesting thing, that it's about segmenting off different parts of your brain and truly believing that things can happen. You know, I do think that there's something sort of inherently... True. Christian. Okay. <laughs> about that belief with the faith as small as a mountain seed or a mustard seed. That whole thing seemed right. to be what this book was going on. But this book also had set up like a loose allegory to Christianity with Telu and all of that. Right, right, right. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. And I liked the sympathy thing, basically. I thought it was good. I think so too. And I think maybe, I mean, you seem to resist the over-explanation of magic. What seems to me like an attempt to integrate it into the world more fully by saying this is naturalistic, right? Like mm-hmm. this is magic, but it's it's not unexplained. I mean, I wouldn't say I resist that so much as I don't need it as a reader, but right. I understand if the author feels obliged to provide it. But I don't even feel like it's an obligation. I feel like, and again, maybe this is me just thinking too hard, but like what I'm reading into all these spots and reading throughout here, and I think explaining the magic and positioning it in that way is again just internal genre commentary by authors about like they are always in dialogue with whatever maybe this genre has done. I felt like that was done throughout. Like for example, on three thirty three, and you'll probably even if you didn't think about this going through, you'll recognize this and probably remember spots where he did it um, all the time. Bast is talking to the chronicler. Bast is my favorite character. <laughs> okay, Bast is a good character. Thank you. But they were talking about the fact. Um, what stories do, you know, what it's like to be, mm-hmm. to tell a story. And Chronicler says, think of all the stories you've heard best. You have a boy, a hero, his parents are killed. He sets out for vengeance. What happens next? And here, it's blatant, right? This is genre commentary. Bast hesitated, his expression puzzled. Chronicler answered the question instead. He finds help, right? A clever talking squirrel, an old drunken swordsman, a mad hermit in the woods, that sort of thing. Kvothe nodded. Exactly. He finds the mad hermit in the woods, proves himself worthy, and learns the name of all the things. Then, with these powerful magics at his beck and call, what does he do? The chronicler shrugged. Well, he finds a villain and kills them. Of course, Kvothe said. Clean, quick, and easy. We know how it ends practically before it starts. That's why stories appeal to us. They give us the clarity and simplicity our real lives lack. But Kvothe leaned forward. If this were some tavern tale, all half-truth, and senseless adventure... I'd tell you how my time at the university was spent with a purity of dedication. I would learn the ever-changing name of the wind, ride out, and gain my revenge. Simple as that. But while the truth might make for an entertaining story, it wouldn't be the truth. The truth is this. I'd mourned my parents' death, and the pain of it had faded to a dull ache. So, with that mad hermit in the woods thing, it's just like saying this isn't a simple fantasy tale, right? He's trying to do that throughout. And I think by making the magic less than magic, but at the same time more than magic because it is explained... I think he's trying to do something with the genre. All right. I marked that section too, and I wanted to ask you about it because uh, last week we were talking about how a lot of today's genre writers sort of... I miss you, Shara. I love you. (laughs) But feel like they have to try and subvert archetype that -hmm. always seems to be going on. And there were a lot of moments in this book like that. I mean, that one was the big one in which I felt like... It's not that the story was trying to do that, but the writer, the narrator, was trying to do that by saying something like that. Kvothe. 
Or you mean Patrick Or Rothfuss. Or, yeah. Or, no, Cavote, actually, too. But that was one of the interludes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay, right, or right, Patrick right, right. You're right, you're right. Or Kyote would say, like, I know, and you wish that it just worked out that well, but it didn't. Right. But I actually, one thing that... I, I kept wanting that to not happen, because one thing that I liked about the book was that I didn't think it was actually subverting anything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, maybe it didn't happen the next day, it happened the next week. But, like, <laughs> everything does work out, and everything is living up to trope. Right. In a way that I actually thought was satisfying and nice. That's interesting. So, it... I didn't know... So, I guess I felt like there was this spoken attempt, I am changing, I am not living up to my trope, but it was never realized. What did you think about that? I think that's a good way to read it and more maybe complex than I did. I just read it and thought, this is it. I'm going to compartmentalize this under he's talking to people deeply invested in this stuff okay. um, and trying to position his work vis-a-vis others. And so saying like, you know, because it's somewhat subtle and hidden to the, to the pedestrian reader, they'll just move along. But to the people who are in the know and the people who are going to blurb on a book are going to say, look, he's doing something different or mm-hmm. he's subverting. When you're saying he's only giving face value to, sub- mm-hmm. to subversion, right? Mm-hmm. And because he did it throughout at the end when they're chasing the dragon, he'd say, and then we're going to go to the river and she's going to undress and I'll, and I'll see her from across and she'll beckon me over because the scorpion's there. But I'm I'll not. I'll just sit here and resist rape. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's nothing. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, so I think your reading of that is correct. All right. So putting aside that he was, I guess, saying he was trying to, or face value, like you said, what he was said he was trying to do and what he was actually doing. With what he was actually doing, I was wondering if maybe part of my real repulsion toward the character <laughs> once he's an adult is the fact that I'm in the hero story. And maybe just because of the way a lot of entertainment that I consume right now, and you probably do too, um, is so focused on the anti-hero. Porn. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually mm. someone who is an out-and-out hero is kind of embarrassing to me. It's interesting. And I can't, I can't really get behind in the way that if he actually was, like, raping her on the <clears throat> side, but hey, he killed the dragon. I think if, if I were to... And I think your, your reading's nice there and takes in other things. If I were to inhabit Patrick Rothfuss's consciousness, mm-hmm. though, I think that he would say he is making something of an anti-hero. But his missteps aren't maybe as gre- as egregious as you might expect or like as right. compared to the type of thing con- media out there we consume now. For example, and th- this is something I actually did find satisfying, you know, he, he lies a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I but I feel like that's those. all part of that trooper stuff. It was, it was, but it was also presented in the terms of like, the chronicler knows the myth of me, but it was just like this. I was lying and I didn't want to dispel that rumor. Like, right. I, yeah, I, he cheated on his, or like to get into he cheated on. I liked that cheating. He took the null route to dampen the blows from the whip. You know, not that I'm saying it's, it was great or not, but yeah, so I, I like that. In addition, I think something you were also, you say when he becomes old, I think Rothfuss again would say he's not old. Like I think a, a big thing, and again, this is bad written maybe so it doesn't really come across but I think he wants us to think this is a really young guy oh he's supposed to be 25 I forgot that that's he's, so dumb he's, it's really dumb he's supposed to be 25 telling the tale so when this is happening he's what 15 16 yeah I mean I think yeah he's like really young for most of it but the fact that the troubled past whatever hero is 25 years old actually felt made me feel like this was YA and nothing right. else did. Right. Like, why is he 25? Why can't you make him... Come on, 45. Right, exactly. Like, um, exactly. All right, but what you said about the whipping, I did want to just... The final, final woman commentary here. Okay. Uh, 
I did like that uh, the author and Kavothe's one stand for like they, they are one for for gender <laughs> equality was when you know but women don't get whipped at the university which I think is really unfair. <laughs> That's so good. Exactly. Yeah. They got to take them lashes just like anyone else. But how can you whip the summer sun? You can't whip the summer sun. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's unknowable. <laughs> Um, this is, right. Okay, the women thing, my final thought on the women thing, yeah. maybe, is that maybe this is indicative of a male writing or something. But I think, again, to him, or maybe a male audience reading this, they would think this is kind of liberating for women and also positioning women in good light. For all the reasons, if you think deep more deeply about it, you realize, like, eh, no, not really. But to them, he thinks, Dena is someone who doesn't want to be, like, a courtesan or a captive woman. She's independent. She wants to move around. She has her own mind, you know? Right, obviously, I mean, embedded in that notion, yeah, is that a courtesan doesn't have her own mind or isn't, or that a woman in her circumstances, I mean, are you kidding? Denna is fucking all of those guys. It makes me so mad that the book won't let her do that because Uh, that's what's happening. Right, that's yeah, no, I agree. I'm saying, but a very surface level reading, someone could look at this and be like, he's doing something new and great and giving us empowered women when he's not. Yeah. Or, I mean... He's not giving... The women aren't characters. Well, the women aren't characters, no. They are a... A quest for the man mm-hmm. and or mm-hmm. a component of that, which is, you know. But not even sexually underdone. I'm, I mean, undertaken. I can get behind a really saucy, you know, like sexy tale of a hero and this wild woman and he, you know, like takes her against a tree, whatever. I, I you know, I can get there. But this, he's just mealy-mouthed and offensive and patronizing towards women, mm-hmm. the character is, that it's just... Really off-putting to I, me. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I would agree. That's how things were in medieval times. <laughs> such a stupid argument. This is a fantasy world. It's interesting you brought up the... My favorite part of the piece of the writing was in the the whipping scene, actually. Okay. Just a nice little... I thought I would give the writing at points more, more than just serviceable. As you say, I think he had something to it. I remember when he was whipping, I thought that was kind of done. After feeling the first whip, there was an odd looseness on my back. I liked that. An odd oh, looseness. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. I liked that. Some other good things, I think, like the writing did. I liked the lying, like I told you, but I also thought there were times in which it inhabited, it made me really think like, okay, this is like a 15-year-old boy. It was rare, but there were times when he seemed kind of petulant. A couple of times he was getting grilled when he was on the horns, and he just said I liked like, all the all on the horns segments. That was right, that was right in the, right in the yeah. midst of my I'm there segment, you know, yeah. some of that rat-a-tat dialogue I'm, I was there for. Oh, I liked Eladin. Okay, yeah, keep going. Oh, I didn't really like Eladin. He seemed like, obviously, the crazy guy who's going to tell him the name of the wind, yeah. which he did. Love him. Right. I remember one of those where he was getting grilled and he'd done something wrong and it just said, like, I, I wanted to leave. And I liked that. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't want to be there when he knew he did something wrong and he's getting yelled at. I liked that. It seemed like, okay, here's a 15-year-old boy. Like, I don't want to, not like, I'm going to one-up the Duke's son or whatever. What about the world? What sentiment oh. did you get? Do you think it was well done? Yeah, um, I thought it was. I thought it was well done. I thought it was completely relying on what previous authors, the work that they have done for him, and that's everyone who's ever set something in a slightly medieval mm-hmm. other world. Mm-h. But I think especially after the last two books we've read, which seem to be so trying for this special other world, mm. I appreciated that. I liked the break. Right. You know, I was like, okay, I get it, and don't explain it to me too much. And he really didn't. And I kind of disagree 
in your introduction, you said, oh, this big, vast world in which there are basically two major cities. That's Mm -hmm. true for this book, but I feel like whenever you start an epic fantasy and there's a map, you know that eventually the character is going to go to every place on that map. And I did get the sense. I mean, I figure they will in this book. Yeah, in the series they will. Right, right. So I felt like, okay, you start here and then, you know, by the end he'll be going over to wherever his friend (laughs) Will comes from. I mean, yeah. India. Or I went back and forth because it felt so not fleshed out to me. But then I thought later, I kind of liked it. It was only giving us as much as Kavote saw himself, mm-hmm. which seemed like a nice corrective to maybe like a book where like here are four chapters where we just talk about the political intrigue or even like a book where the main characters are nobility. So you have to like for the palace intrigue to work, you have to have a sense of like competing factions mm-hmm. and this king did this and this king. I liked that it was more bottom up and you only got a sense of what the character got a sense of. And so like there were a lot of places on the map I had no sense of. And I think maybe this might have even been unconscious, but I kind mm-hmm. of liked that. Like, well, you know, it's not really it's important. Some Somewhere else. Yeah, so that's maybe nice maybe just how that. I'm thinking about it now. And another day I think like, yeah, there was nothing special. Like Tarbine was whatever. <laughs> as long as there are no yokels with dialects. Okay, I agree with that guy, except that I said a lot of those lines out loud. And if you're going to write like a whatever deep hill cockney, or (laughs) what I guess that guy was speaking, it it was not like just by pronouncing the sounds as he wrote them, I did sound like that man. And I'm going to start doing it sometime now (laughs) in my private life. I, I agree. I think that was correct. That whole part, again, okay, did you see an equivalent between the shoemaker and that guy? Take that guy out and you save 50 pages and nothing's lost. That's true, but the shoemaker was like two pages and he was a kindly man. What? I mean, he just bought shoes. No, it wasn't that. It was that, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons I liked him when he was younger. Because for one, kind of maybe embarrassingly, but I was moved by his parents' romance. His parents' romance? Like the way that his parents loved, loved each other. <laughs> okay. Make sure or you like... say that again closer to the mic. Make sure we have it. <laughs> no. The, uh... Like the moment when right before his parents die, when he's out gathering firewood and he says that thing about how he hopes they didn't spend their last hours chopping carrots or whatever and how he hopes they spent it. I think he said, uh, busy with loving each other until the <laughs> end. And I was kind of like, I loved it. And I was there. And to me, the most emotionally disturbing part of the book in a good way uh, was when his parents died. And I liked his description of trauma after. I liked the four doors you know, was, the, the four doors bad. that trauma shuts things behind, and right. he went back behind a few of them. I agree. I just thought of this now. Does that mean... So his escape from the Chandrian massacre was basically similar to Dennis at the end, when in the woods, when the Chandrian came. Well, Dennis, think, Master Ash, or whoever that is. Is obviously a Chandrian. Or, yeah, let's right? sit down and question Dennis about that guy. I mean, that was a crazy loose end. How I was so over it. For the last hundred pages. Well, I was really up. See, I kept believing, like, until I was 20 pages out after the dragon thing, like, waiting for the climax. It was, the dragon was the climax. I can't believe the dragon was the climax. I mean, honestly, it really damages my opinion of the book. Right. That that was the end of it, which is, I mean, see, he's writing two more. I'm sure, I hope he can write, like, a gripping conclusion to a book. So why didn't he write one to this one? Who cares about the dragon? If anything, you've already taken away any dragon magic by saying it's a giant animal. He kills a giant animal. Okay, one thing. Can we... I really like to ask. I feel... Well, that, I mean, of my flippant parts of my introduction, I feel like my noting that he 
he'd stopped caring about the frame story was true, right? I mean, oh, yeah. I, he doesn't care about Bass. But Bass what is happened? a beautiful Renaissance dandy. <laughs> and I think we both know that. I mean, talk about projection. We have a little sense of, das, of Bast, and you're putting that on him. He's a Renaissance dandy? Is they that... said he was dark and beautiful, <laughs> and he's a fairy. What else do you need? I mean, you're right. Bast isn't bad. He's not bad. And I will say, one of the things but that even... made me Ugh. most excited was the end section. Not that I liked this section, but what it hinted at. with uh, When Bast was yelling at Chronicler, and his eyes glaze over in a demon-y way, I'm into that. Starts talking about, you know, like... Uh, I think he says, like, you don't know the tune to which I dance, right. basically. And I, I really like the idea of, like, deep otherness in characters and the fact that Bast is not a human. And he had already indicated earlier that there are many different types of fae, though mm-hmm. you commoners will call them demons. <laughs> <laughs> there are many different types of fae, and, you know, there is different from each other, is this from that. And so I'm excited, and I hope that the book would go into that world and bring out all those different... I agree, I agree. And, I mean, that was kind of interesting, but it wasn't done well. Again, it gets back to, like, can he that's write... That's true, that's true. He can't write a climax, but he also can't write, like, a cliffhanger. Because that was, like, the big, like, you need to do things. Like, I am threatening you. You're not doing it right, Chronicler. Like, things are gonna... We need to pay attention. But even his, like, point about what's wrong is so stupid, which was that, like, don't let him talk about bad stuff. He gets sad. That, okay, I was disappointed because... There wasn't anything bigger. I mean, for some no, no, pages, the, there was no bigger reveal. Uh, there was no bigger reveal. I mean, the end was a total disaster. I agree. Yeah. But in that segment with Bast, I liked what he started to say, which was that we fay understand, which you humans don't, that there is a closer relationship between being and appearing than you think. So it gets back to my point about memory, myth, and meaning. Definitely. But I thought, yeah, okay, exa- completely. But I thought that that was going to lean it lead into this whole thing about appearance and reality and the difference. And and then he was like, yeah, just what you said. And then he was like, so don't let him talk about his loop playing and don't let him talk about Denna. Tell him how strong he is. I mean, so, yeah. I mean, if if you're writing that last part, I'm with you. Maybe I just like Faye. I just want some Faye. Maybe our next book. You're picking it. I don't know how many Faye are going to be Get some Faye in there. (laughs) We'll try. I don't have a good history with Faye. But I mean, okay, so just... To wrap that up, he did a bad job for anyone who wants something from this to hold on to the next. Someone that says, I'm excited for book two, all they can go on is that I hope whatever he gives us is something fun, given with some energy, because nothing here is alluding to anything. Like, I guess we need to know why that demon was there. Who are the Skraling? Not who, obviously, they're metal spiders. Yeah, I don't care about the Skraling. <laughs> right? But it's just... Yeah, so with what I wanted, why I read this book and what I wanted to go into it for, and maybe that did my expectations affected what I ultimately thought. I was hoping that I would finish this book and whether we're doing it for the podcast or not, dive into the second. Right, right. I'm not going to do that at all. But I will say, I do care about what happens and I, or I would like to see him in the Shandrian face off and I would like to see if the author can pull off an ending and I would guess that at some point I will read the second one. I'm probably less inclined to read a second one. Maybe more indicative of how frustrating the ending was. At some point... Right towards the end. You've read... This is page 711. Mm-hmm. You've read a lot of pages mm-hmm. up until this point. And then in a simple paragraph, he says, I was wrong. Ambrose had learned to bide his time. He did manage to get his revenge. And when it came, I was caught flat-footed and forced to leave the university. Mm-hmm. We've spent hundreds of pages seeing to see... Or trying to see if he'll stay in the university. And knowing he'll that he'll be it. expelled. 
I mean, he says in the beginning, I was expelled from the university. Uh, yeah, but it's just like, okay, I guess that's in the next book. You didn't get expelled. Well, I'm more concerned or interested in when he kills an angel. Remember when they threw that out there? Like, this is the face of the man who so killed So this is what angel. it read to me like. This is a guy, this is this guy's first book. He sat down, he wrote a first couple of chapters, and then just lost himself. He did, yeah. Right? And so But he, he got it for a while. I mean, he did, but yeah. he wrote that description of... Here's what this dude's known for. Mm-hmm. I'll get around to these. Holy shit, I've written 800 pages. <laughs> I haven't touched on any of them. Oh, well, there'll be a Maybe a book. dragon? Yeah, why not throw a dragon in there? Yeah. So, I don't know. Let's maybe let's maybe wrap this up. Then. Yeah. Well, can sc- I talk about the ratings for a second first? Because I've been thinking about this. Are you like one of those like crunchy girls who's like, let's not give ratings. Like, everyone gets 10 bass. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I will say that... I enjoy doing this. The rating segment fills me with the most anxiety. That's what gets the most feedback from our listeners. They love the ratings. They're obsessed with the rating (laughs) system. You're right. I do want to say we're using a 10-point scale, and I'm not at all connecting this to like That's because you have trouble with arithmetic. You're a woman. I'm a summer storm. This is true. We will do Um, this out of lightning crashes. I'm a high. Yeah. Exactly. All right. But, um... I, I understand. It's all, all I'm saying is that I'm not doing this like the same way our academic scale is set up. It's not, you know... In the university? I mean, Out of how in, many in the country, lashes? Scott. I mean, in this, in this world, not his world. Right, in the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> all I mean is, to me, just so everyone knows, uh, a zero means this was terrible. I can never look at it again. A five means this was okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean F. Is what you're saying. Yes, a five is not an F. It's not a, a fifty. Five is not a failure. And a ten's like this is amazing. Right. So you know, I think I gave City of Stairs a six point five last week, and I'm saying I don't think it's a D of a right, book. Right, right, right. You know? I see what you're saying. It's kind of we could use you know when you like rate in the Patrick Rothfuss vein of gender <laughs> politics when you like rate girls on their looks. Well, there's only tens. <laughs> for him <laughs> but like you know if somebody's a six they're not like terrible it's like she's a six right she's only th- she's 13 <laughs> but like I, I can imagine what's underneath okay this morning clothes <laughs> <laughs> all right let's rate this book all right how many scralings do you give this <laughs> all right just like last week i need to balance out what was my interest in the book or my enjoyment level of the book how absorbed i was and what i think the book deserves good for me, my interest level was higher than what I think it deserves. Okay, okay. Um, I'm giving it a 7.3. All right. I like I like that. Yeah. I like the precision. How many to... demon lovers do you get? <laughs> you only get one demon lover. <laughs> Don't take iron near it. I'm just going to have to break it down very straightforward. I enjoyed a third of this book, you know, 3.5, but I enjoyed that third more than an ordinary amount. I'm going to give this a 5. Five, okay. You know, I mean, I just thought what was good was kind of there, but the rest, there was just... I mean, I kind of like your scoring more because I don't like that I'm giving this book higher than A City of Stairs. I think the writing was better in City of Stairs. I think it was better constructed, etc. But I cared about this book and the story more than I cared about City of Stairs, so I have to. That's fine. I think that makes sense. I know, but I with my head hung low. With your head hung low. I mean, I feel a five works. I was I was there when I was there, and when I wasn't, I just wanted it to be over. Mm-hmm. Um, All okay, right. well, there's another episode of Genre Stop. Thanks, everyone, for listening. For Brie, Brie, say goodbye. 
No, don't talk. I'm speaking for you. I'm here. Bye. And this is Scott. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Next time, join us when we'll be discussing The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison. I hate you, I hate you, where did it go wrong? Young, young, who was talking to himself on the phone.